Good to be back at Storyside with all you folks, all you fine folks up here. Praise God. I am um, thrilled. Uh, Pastor Mike had just mentioned, we just changed the name of our church about a couple of months ago, and so we just felt like it was God's timing to do so. Like You guys changed the name here a few years ago, I believe it's been now, and uh, I've been wanting to do that for about four or five years now, and we just figured it out, felt like it was God's timing to do so. So we changed the name of our church from Kingdom Christian Center to Strong Point Church. And uh, in doing so, I found out afterwards that there's not another church with that name in all of America. And so we're the only Strong Point Church that there is, praise God. And so so we're excited. God is good. He's blessing our church. And uh, I'm glad to be back with you guys uh, again. Some of you guys know me. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of new faces here that I don't know and have had the opportunity to meet, but uh, I'm glad to be with you. I always tell story side, I'm your brother from another mother. All right. All right. And uh, I want to just thank Pastor Mike and Angel for inviting me today and thank them for their friendship. They have been dear friends of ours. We, Pastor Mike and I and Angel and my wife Tracy, have traveled together, vacationed together. We've laughed together, cried together, uh, worshiped together. And so they're just, 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 not only are they great pastors and great leaders, but they're great people. And so we're so honored to have. God has connected us. We feel like at the hip with them. And so, and we feel like we're connected with Storyside Church as well, praise God. So I'm glad to be back in the house. I neglected to mention earlier today that my father-in-law is with me. Uh, he's here for the weekend. We've had some graduations in the family. He was actually here last weekend. My youngest son graduated. We took off to college last week. And then uh, my niece graduated here the other day. And so he's back in town uh, from Kentucky. And uh, he's been with us the last two weekends. It's always a pleasure having him in the house. And then Kenny serves with me in the church as one of my armor bearers, and he's with us today as well. And so thank you for all of your hospitality and just, just serving well and uh, just making us feel very at home, away from home. Amen. Y'all ready for the word today? How many of you came ready for the word today? All right. So, so real quick, I have to warn you, I told the church at 9.30 service, I said, listen, at the 9 o'clock service, I said, listen, you have to be good listeners. You have to be good listeners. Uh, because what I found in church is that most people are good lookers and not good listeners. They are. Like if you was to say, you know, there were some friends or some family or some uh, people who, co-workers who didn't make service today and you went to work tomorrow and you said, hey, you should have been there because Jesus was in the house. No, no, not just spiritually. Jesus was in the flesh at Storyside. And you know the first question they'd ask you? They would say, what did he look like? When the first question they should ask you is, what did he say? Because what Jesus looked like ain't never healed nobody. What Jesus looked like ain't never saved nobody. What Jesus looked like ain't never delivered nobody. But when Jesus opens up his mouth, come on, y'all know the story. So I want you to listen with intent today, all right? The Bible says, he that have an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So how many listeners do I have? Okay, and do not fall asleep. Because <laughs> back home, we tell them, you go to napping, we go to slapping. <laughs> all right? Did your neighbor say, wake up? All right? Okay, everybody do me a favor. Do like this. Just do like this with your hand. See that? Do that. Now place it right on your chin. Place it right on your chin. Now is that your chin? 
See, we got a lot of lookers, but not a lot of listeners. That is not your chin. And we have to be careful because sometimes the devil will be showing us one thing, but saying something else. And so we have to listen intently. Like the devil took Jesus up on a high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. But what he said was, if you bow down and worship me. So Jesus wasn't just looking, Jesus was listening. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so we have to be good listeners. So turn with me if you have your Bibles. If not, I'm sure they'll put it up on the screen. Uh, Micah, uh, not your pastor Micah, but Micah, the prophet here in Scripture. And uh, I got an interesting title to give you today. Uh, I'm going to read Micah chapter 4. Uh, and I'm going to read verse 6 down through verse 12. It says, In that day, says the Lord, I will gather the lame and assemble the outcast whom I injured. I will transform the lame into the nucleus of a new nation and those far off into a mighty nation. The Lord will reign over them on Mount Zion from that day forward and forevermore. He says, As for you, uh, watchtower, for the flock fortress uh, of daughter Zion, your former dominion will be restored, the sovereignty that belongs to daughter Jerusalem. Then he says, Jerusalem, why are you now shouting so loudly? Has your king disappeared? Has your wise leader been destroyed? Is this, uh, my, uh, is this why uh, pain grips you as if you were a woman in labor? Verse 10 says, twist and strain, daughter Zion, as if you were in labor. Uh, for you will leave the city and live in the open field. You will go to Babylon, but there uh, you will be rescued. There the Lord will deliver you from the power of your enemies. He says, uh, many nations have now assembled against you. They say Jerusalem must be desecrated so we can gloat over Zion. Verse 12, final verse. But they do not know what the Lord is planning. They do not understand his strategy. And so I want to talk to you today. I entitled this sermon, this message, this teaching, strange strategies, strange strategies. Because one of the things I've learned in serving God over the years is that he has some strange strategies. And we're going to go through the book and I'm going to take you through a walk through some stories here, which I believe are some strange strategies. And so if you're a note taker, I want you to take note. I don't know. uh, Some of us are using so much electronics now, phones and iPads and all those gadgets we use. Some of us are still having our Bibles that we color in with highlighters. And some of us still have little notepads and we have pens and pencils. And some of the ladies take their eyeliners out and just use their eyeliners and just... (laughs) Just whatever you got to take notes, take notes, all right? So I'm going to give you a few stories. Uh, one of them is found over in the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 20, uh, around 17, 18, 19, 20, verse, 21st verse. There's a story by the name of King, by the name of Jehoshaphat. <clears throat> and uh, they're about to go into battle, Jehoshaphat is, and uh, Israel. They're about to go into battle. And God speaks something to Jehoshaphat and says something very interesting to him. He says, Jehoshaphat, here's the plan. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to send Judah first. Now, Judah means praise. That's what it means in Scripture. He said, I want you to send the singers out first. I want you to send, as it were, the praise team out first. Now, now that sounds like a strange strategy to me. 
Because here they are, they're getting ready to go into battle, they're getting ready to face the enemy, the enemy has swords, the enemy has spears, the enemy has helmets and breastplates, and the enemy, the enemy has, 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 has all kinds of artillery, and here we come with cordless microphones. <laughs> that sounds like a strange strategy. But the Lord told him, he said, listen, when you go out, I want you to go out singing and celebrating. And here's what I want you to say. I want you to say, for the Lord is good and his mercies endureth forever. And the Bible said that as they did that, the Bible says that something strange began to happen. There was, if it were, a spirit of confusion came upon the enemy, and the Bible said that they began to turn on one another and begin to fight one another until they destroyed one another. So much so that Israel was left for three days picking up all of the wealth of their enemy. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this first strategy or strange strategy down. Write this one down. Praising God is a strange strategy. Hmm. Praising God is a strange strategy. I want you to write that down. This is why when you're facing a battle, listen to this, when you're facing a battle, the first thing you want to start doing is praising God. Not picking up the phone, not texting your friend, not asking somebody else what they think about it. The first thing you want to do is start praising God. For the Lord is good and his mercies endureth forever. When you're facing a divorce, the first thing you want to do is start praising God. When you're facing cancer, the first thing you want to do is start praising God. When you're facing raising a rebellious teenager that seems like they're wayward, the first thing you want to do is start praising God. When you're facing going into a job on Monday morning that you can't hardly stomach going to, you want to pull up in that parking lot, put some worship music on, and go to praising God. I know it sounds silly. I know it sounds stupid. I know it sounds senseless. But while you're praising, you need to understand God's behind the scene planning. While you're praising, God's behind the scene preparing. While you're praising, God's behind the scene predetermining your outcome and strategizing for your success. Y'all remember in the New Testament when the Bible says Paul and Silas went to prison, and they threw them back in the inner parts of the prison. It would have been the modern-day hole. They had them way back in the dungeon part of the prison where it was dark. And the Bible says, round about midnight. I find it interesting. It didn't say around about midnight. They asked for that one phone call. <laughs> it didn't say round about midnight. They asked for a public defender. It didn't say round about midnight. They asked for a stay of execution. It said round about midnight, Paul and Silas begin to pray and they begin to praise God. And when they begin to let their praise into the atmosphere, something strange began to happen. The Bible said that the whole foundation of the prison began to shake. All of the doors was open and everybody who was bound was set free because praising God is a strange strategy. Can we just take a moment, about 15 seconds, and give God some praise? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Not only is praising God a strange strategy, let's look at another strange strategy. There's a story in the New Testament 
where Jesus is teaching his disciples, and they're walking with him one day, and Jesus looks over at him. He said, listen, he said, the scribes and the Pharisees, they love to sit in the seat of Moses. In other words, that seat was the seat of authority. He said, they love to sit in the seat of Moses, but he looked at them. He said, but not you. He said, as for you, he said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Hmm, whole new paradigm, whole new perspective. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that one down. Serving is a strange strategy. Hmm. Serving is a strange strategy. He's saying greatness, this is what Jesus was saying, greatness doesn't come from lording over people. He's saying greatness doesn't come from, 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 from dominating people and being domineering. He's saying greatness doesn't come from ordering people around. He's saying greatness doesn't come from bullying people. He's saying greatness doesn't come from ruling, which we would think. He said greatness doesn't come from ruling over people. Greatness comes from serving people. He said the greatest among you should be your servant. And I found out that serving is one of God's strange strategies. Hmm. I remember some years ago before I started pastoring, I used to be a painter by trade. Uh, I, used to, I used to work in the field of abstinence of, uh, of, 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 of alcohol abuse and abstinence with youth and young people. And I would go into high schools and I would talk to them. And then out of that, I, because I had a painting uh, skill gift, I, I started painting for myself. And I went out and said, I'm going to start my own painting business. I bought my van, my ladders and all that stuff and didn't have it but two months because two months in, God called me to start a church. And so I sold everything. But when I was painting, you know, it was hard for me to find good work good painters. And so I would try to go find good painters. And you know, everybody and their mama can paint, right? Everybody know how to paint. My mama could paint, my brothers could paint, my uncles could paint, the crackhead could, everybody could paint. Everybody knew how to paint. <laughs> Only to find out when I get him into the kitchen, get him in the living room, I say, hey, man, paint that wall, paint this, this and that. I'd go paint, and I'd come back an hour later, and they had just made a plum mess. Just paint all over the place. I had to go and touch up, clean up. I said, man, you wasted time, you wasted money. And it was just difficult until one day I met another guy who owned a painting business, and he said, let me give you a strategy. I said, I'm open. He gave me a strategy. He said, I'm going to give you a strategy. He said, when you get a new painter, he said, the first thing you want to do is put them in the closet. I said, why? He said, yeah, put them in the closet. He said, the closet is a tight space. It's a small space. It's a dark space. It's a private space. Public, many people don't look in the closet. And he said, it's so dark in there that if they made a mess, you wouldn't even really know. And he said, after painting in the closet in so many houses, let him paint five, six closets in every house. And after so many houses, he's going to get tired of being in the closet and he's going to start perfecting his gift and he's going to get good and paint his way out of the closet. Hmm. Keep that thought. Keep that thought. Remember when David was anointed king? They anointed David king. Remember they went down to Jesse's house and Samuel said, one of your sons is going to anoint king. The Bible said they anointed David king in the midst of his brethren. Now, I find it interesting. David's anointed king, but David doesn't run to the throne and start ruling. David goes back to his father's farm and keeps serving. Because you never trust a person to ruling well when they don't have history of serving well. Did you hear what I said? You never trust a person to ruling well when they have no history of serving well. So instead of David going to the throne, my little story I just gave you, instead of David going to the kitchen, to the family room, 
David went back to the closet and kept his father's sheep. And he served well until he served out of that small private space till he can get to the throne in a public large space to rule over the children of Israel. Because serving is a strange strategy. And let me say this, when you come to Storyside every Sunday and you roll up your sleeves to serve, God sees you serve. There's a scripture that I love. The scripture says, God is not unfaithful to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown towards the saints, other believers and other Christians. And so every time you serve, God sees you serve. When you're in the parking lot, God sees you serve. When you're back with the babies in children's church, God sees you, sir. When you're up on the platform, God sees you, sir. When you're greeting and hugging and loving with people, God sees you, sir. And sometimes, I know it, you don't always feel like serving. Because I'm a pastor, I don't always feel like preaching. I don't. There's some days I just don't want to get up and go to church. But I don't go to church based on how I feel. I go to church by faith, praise God. And I know God sees me serve. And what I know is that while I'm serving, sometimes through tears, while I'm serving, sometimes play, 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 uh, putting a smile on my face when I don't feel like smiling, God's behind the scene. He's organizing some stuff in my life. When I'm serving, God's behind the scene, and, he, and, and he's synchronizing timing to, for some things to take place in my life. God's behind the scene, and he's strategizing until miracles start materializing in my life because there's something strange about serving. It's one of God's strategies. Come on, let the whole church say amen. Y'all getting this? And so there's, there's something about serving that instills sensitivity. This is why I say never trust a person to rule well if they don't have any history of serving well. Because there's something about serving that instills sensitivity in a person's life. There's something about serving that instills humility in a person's life. There's something about serving that instills civility, that instills ability in a person's life. Y'all hearing this? So, so serving is one of God's strange strategies. Let's look at another strange strategy. There's a story in the Old Testament, a story about the prophet Elijah, and it's a famine in the land, and God speaks to Elijah, and he says, I'm going to take care of you in a famine. You know, there's a difference between uh, sometimes, like in America, we don't know what famines look like. You know, there's no reason to starve in America. Because you can take some seeds out in your backyard and plant tomatoes and cucumbers. And... But there are some areas. I went to Africa a few years ago to a place called Nakuru, about three hours from Nairobi. And there were some places out there, I don't care how much seed you put in the ground, it's not coming up. It's just famished. It's just dry. There's nothing happening. So here Elijah is in this famished land and he can't find out how to eat, and so on and so forth. And God speaks to him. He says, I want you to go to this brook called Esco, and there I'm going to cause water to come from the brook. And then he said, I'm going to cause a raven to fly by, and the raven is going to feed you. The raven is going to drop food out of his mouth, and you're going to be able to eat. And if any of you don't know, the raven is one of the nastiest birds, has one of the nastiest mouths. But what we can gather from this story is that God will use some of the most unlikeliest things and unlikeliest people to bless you. 
You think it's going to come from here, and God says, I'm bringing it from a raven. And so then he's eating and he's drinking, and the Bible says one day the brook dried up. And when the brook dried up, God then spoke to him again and said, now I want you to go down to Zarephath because there's a poor widow woman down there who I'm causing to sustain thee. Wow. It's a famine. God's sending him not to the wealthy place, but he's sending him to a poor widow woman's house. Yet it sounds like a strange strategy. He's sitting him down there. He gets down to this poor widow woman's house. He says to her, what do you have in your house? She said, I have a little bit of cake meal, and I have these two sticks. I'm going to make this cake. I'm going to dress it. We're going to eat it, me and my son, and we're going to die. We're going to check out. It's going to serve. It's like our last supper, our last meal. And here's what the prophet says to her. He said, no, before you do that, he said, give me a little bit first. Hmm. Now, if we, the modern church, the progressive church, would have been there to witness that, we would have been like, I can't believe that pastor. I can't believe that man of God. He's supposed to be a man of God. She doesn't hardly have anything as it is. Why is he taking the little bit that she has? Those money-hungry preachers. <laughs> I mean, I probably would have said that. I probably would have said that. But the Bible says she trusted what he said. She gave him a little bit. And when she did, something strange happened. A miracle manifested in her house, and the Bible said that her and her child did eat for many more days, praise God. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to write that one down. That's my third strange strategy, giving. Giving is a strange strategy. You know what's strange? Because you would have never thunk it up. Now, thunk it up. Thunk it up. I, I, I tell the people in my church, we have some English people and teachers, I tell them, please sit on the front row because you know I will make up a word. <laughs> Help me out. You never came up with concept of giving. That's a God concept. Someone came up here, Regina came up here earlier and talked about giving life. God's a giver. God so loved the world that he gave. So, so God's a giver. That's what he does. And we are created in his image and in his likeness. And God says, if you want to get, then you got to learn how to give. We would have never came up with that concept. Tithing is a strange strategy. Giving 10% of my income, that's a strange strategy. Years ago, uh, we had a family in our church who came to me, and they said, Pastor, we are in severe debt, severe debt. And they said, what we did is we went to a debt consolidation company to ask them to help us out, work it out, give us a budget, show us how to you know, set up some things. You know. And so they went, and they laid it all out. They wanted to see their incoming and their outgoing. They laid it all out in front of them, and the debt consolidation people saw it, and they said, hold on, hold on, hold on. this right here, this is half your problem. They said what? They said, this 10% that you're giving to the church. They said, this, this needs to be cut immediately. Well, the couple, they were Christian. They were believers. They, it didn't sit well with them. You know, they came back to the church. They said, Pastor, here's what they told us. What sayeth you? Oh, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor, really. I mean, we, we operate off the tithe. We, we, we operate off the tithe. But bigger than that, I said, listen. I said, the Bible doesn't say tithe if you can afford to. The Bible doesn't say tithe if all your bills are paid. The Bible didn't say tithe when you're financially comfortable. The Bible says tithe. Because what you need to understand is that God is not really after your tithe. He's after your trust. 
He wants your heart. Are you understanding me? God wants your heart. He don't want your money. God is a spirit. God can't do nothing with natural money. Hmm? The Bible says wherever a man's treasure is, that's where his heart is. So God knows when you give me your treasure, you're giving me your heart. So God wants your trust. And let me just say this real quick, and I know I got to hurry up here, but money's not evil. The Bible says that money is the root of all evil. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of it, because see, now it has to do with your heart. So see, it's all connected with your heart. So money's not evil. Money's neutral. Money's neutral. If I, if I tear this money and just drop it right there, that money ain't bothering nobody. I mean, really, the money, the money, the money ain't doing, money's neutral, it's amoral. But you take that money and you put it in a wicked man's hands, and now he starts getting little 11-year-old girls on crack. He starts putting drugs in little boys' hands. He start, you understand? But then you take that money and you put it in a righteous man's hands, he starts helping get the 11-year-old girl off crack. You understand what I'm saying? So, 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 so be, learn to be givers and not just takers, not just consumers, but investors in the kingdom of God. This is a quick story. Over in Africa, here's what they do. This is how they catch monkeys. This is how they catch monkeys. They'll put some honey in a tree, down in a tree. They'll cut a hole in the tree for the monkey to put his hand in there. They cut the hole just big enough that the monkey can slip his hand in there, but it's too small. When he grabs the honey, he makes a fist. So when he makes a fist, he can't get it out. All the monkey has to do is let it go. But the monkey is so greedy that he keeps his fist and he's trapped. And they just come by with a club and knock the monkey over the head. And now they got monkey meat for dinner. And all the monkey had to do was let it go. And some of us, I hate to say it, are like monkeys in church. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. All we got to do is let it go. Giving is a strange strategy. Don't just be a consumer. Don't just be a taker. Be a giver. I ever told you all my story about little bad Leroy? Listen to this story about little bad Leroy. Little bad Leroy, he went to his mother. He said, Mom, I want a bike for Christmas, a red bike. She said, okay, Leroy, why don't you go upstairs to your room, write Jesus a letter, and tell Jesus how much you've been, how good you've been, and how you've been giving offerings from your allowances at church. And go and write Jesus a letter. So he goes up and he writes Jesus a letter, and he says, Jesus, he said, I'm Leroy. I want a little red bike for Christmas. He said, he said I've been good, and, and I've been giving my allowances at the church. And then he thought to himself, he said, no, that ain't true. He, he took the paper, he tore it off. He bought it, threw it in the trash, started the letter over again. He said, Jesus, I'm Leroy. He said, and I want a red bike for Christmas. And he, Jesus, I'm going to be good, and I'm going to start giving my offerings at church. And, and he thought, that ain't true either. He took the paper. He threw it away. He started writing again. Dear Jesus, then this brilliant thought hit little bad Leroy. He got up from his desk. He ran down the steps. He ran out the front door, ran down to the corner church where there was a big, beautiful Catholic church with a statue of Mother Mary in front. Little bad Leroy put his hands around Mother Mary and he started rocking Mother Mary back and forth, back and forth until he broke her off her foundation, put Mother Mary under his arm, ran back home, set her down on his desk, got his pen and paper and said, now Jesus, I got your mama. And if you ever want to see her again, 
you're going to bring me that red bike for Christmas. Everybody say, that's a little bad Leroy. That's just a little bad Leroy. You understand? Just being a taker, just being strong armor. No, learn to be a giver. Here's what Proverbs 11, 24 says. Some people give freely and gain more. Others refuse to give and, uh, and end up with less. Wow. Give freely and you will profit. Help others and you will gain more for yourself. Isn't that good? Okay. So let me give you my final what I'm calling a strange strategy. The first one was praising God is a strange strategy. The second one was serving is a strange strategy. The third one was giving is a strange strategy. Let me give you my last one here. In the Old Testament, you remember God came to Jonah and he told Jonah, he said, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to that great city. And, and Jonah, he disobeyed God. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He wanted to go to Tarshish because Tarshish is where the parties was happening at. And so he said, no, I'm going to Tarshish. He went the opposite direction. He got on a boat to go to Tarshish. While he's on a boat, this great storm arises. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a violent storm. It's, the winds and the waves are beating vehemently up against the boat. And, and, the, and, all, and the men of the boat, they gathered together. They said, man, so who's brought this trouble upon us? And the Bible says that they begin to cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. And so they went to Jonah, and they said, who are you? Where do you come from? What are the, and Jonah, Jonah didn't deny anything. Jonah said, I'm the problem. Jonah said, I'm the problem. I preached a message some time ago at my church from that. It was just called, I'm the problem. <laughs> because so much in church, everybody else is the problem. Yeah. But Jonah said, no, I'm the problem. And then they thought, you know what, that's okay, Jonah. We're going to outroll it. We're going to go faster. We're going to come out of this storm. But it just got worse and worse. So after that, I, next week I came back and I preached, I'm the problem, part two. <laughs> I'm still the problem. And so finally, you know what Jonah told him? You know what Jonah told him? Throw me over. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be in a relationship or connecting with bad seeds and people who are just wasting your time and they would just come right right out front and say, I'm the problem, just throw me out. You wouldn't have to waste five years, 10 years, 15 years figuring it out. They just said, throw me over. People don't do that, do they? Be wonderful. They said they threw Jonah over in this storm and here's what I like. The Bible said something very interesting that I had just skimmed over and over and over and over. And then one day it just finally hit me and I saw it. It said this. It said, God prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. I'm talking about a strange strategy. <laughs> my fourth and my final strange strategy, write it down. Failing is a strange strategy. Jonah has failed miserably. He's in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights, pure darkness. So much so that it got his attention. And the Bible said, Jonah prayed unto God out of the fish's belly. And the fish spewed him up on dry ground. And the Bible said, then Jonah decided, I'm going where God told me to go. I'm going to Nineveh. And the Bible said, usually it takes three days to get to Nineveh, but Jonah made that trip up in one day. Because when you decide to get in the will of God and do what God tells you to do, yeah, what should have taken you long, God said, I'll speed up the process. Failing. If I was to ask everybody in this crowd tonight, if I had to give you some paper, and say, I want you to write down the prescription to success. Nobody in here would put failure. You would put faith, 
Faith. You got to have faith for success. You would put friends. You would put, you need family by your side. You, you, you put finances. You may put some fun there, but nobody would put failure. But ask the prodigal son. The prodigal son would tell you failure and failing is one of God's strange strategies. Because remember, he got the inheritance from his father. He went out and wasted in riotous living. And then when he spent everything, a famine hit. That's just how it happens too, isn't it? Party and having it all. Then when you spend everything, a famine hits. And the Bible says he turned to others, but no man would give unto him. Don't think that to be strange. In other words, that's a part of God's strategy because sometimes we bail people out when God said, I'm needing them to hit rock bottom. Leave them alone because when they hit rock bottom and there's no man there to bail them out. And then the Bible says he was sent into the fields from, with a citizen from another country and he's feeding the swines in the Bible. He's failing so miserably. He got so hungry. He's about to eat the slop that the pigs were eating. And after so much failure, here's what the Bible says. One day, the Bible says he came to himself. He arose. He brushed himself off and said, I'm better than this. He said, I'm going to go back to my father's house. What am I saying? I'm saying that that failure is a part of God's strange strategy. Ask Jonah. Jonah would tell you failing is a part of strange strategy. In other words, Jonah would tell you, you know what? Satan sends storms to wipe you out. But God strategically uses them to wake you up. Because Jonah, this storm, it should have wiped him out. But God said, the storm's not going to wipe you out. Because I prepared a great fish to swallow you up. And while you're in that belly, you're going to wake up to who you are. You're going to wake up to your destiny and wake up to your purpose. And wake up to what I called you to do, Jonah. And sometimes when the storm comes, we're thinking, my God, the storm's going to wipe me out. God said, no, the storm's only going to be, I'm going to use it strategically to wake you up. Sometimes trouble, sometimes failure, sometimes storms are nothing but wake-up calls from God. Are you hearing this? And, and, and so Satan, he sends things. He sends storms. He sends addiction to wipe you out. But God strategically uses it to wake you up. He sends an affair to wipe your marriage out. But God strategically uses it to wake you up. He sends sickness to wipe you out. He sends bankruptcy to wipe you out. He sends a teenage pregnancy to wipe you out. He sends legal issues to wipe you out. He sent a prison sentence to me for three years thinking it was going to wipe me out. But God used it, glory to God, to wake me up. And that's when I learned all things work together for the good to them who love God and who are called according to his purpose. I'm talking about strange strategies. Strange strategies. Naaman dips seven times in a dirty river to be made clean. 
That's a strange strategy. Jesus spits on the ground, makes clay, put it in the man's eye so that he can see. That's a strange strategy. Israel takes blood and hyssop, puts it over the doorpost so the deaf angel can't come in. That's a strange strategy. Christ hangs on the cross for your sin and for my sin. That's a strange strategy. Jonah gets swallowed up by a big fish but survives in the belly of a whale. This isn't just some little Sunday school story. This is reality. He survives, but God says it's going to serve as a wake-up call for Jonah. So when the storm comes to wipe you out, thank God for the grace of God that God strategically uses it to wake you up. Can you stand to your feet all over the sanctuary this morning? And I just want to pray for somebody before I leave the stage. Because I believe some people in here have been facing some storms, facing some tough times, facing some trials, facing some affliction, maybe with a disease, a sickness, a bad report from the doctor. And the doctor said, there's nothing else we can do. And the enemy wants you to leave out there thinking that storm's going to wipe you out. But God says, "Mm mm-mm. I'm going to strategically use it to wake you up. And that's what I learned. God doesn't send the storms. He just uses them. Satan is the one who's trying to kill you. But God is so awesome. Strange strategies. Real quick before I close, I got to go. Satan thought he put God in the dilemma one time. See, see, this this book is called The Plan of Salvation. Remember, I opened up, they said they don't know what God is planning. They don't know his strategy. This book is called The Plan of Salvation. The Bible says if the devils would have known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't know that was a part of God's strange strategy. But back in the Old Testament, here's what the enemy does. He thought he put God in a dilemma. He took sin. Sin is something God hates. He put it inside of man. Man is something that God loves. And this is why if you go back and read the Old Testament, this is why when you first get saved, they tell you, don't go read the Old Testament because you're going to have a wrong viewpoint of who God is. When you get, when you get saved, they tell you, go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the gospel so then you get a better idea of who God's nature really is. But you go back to the Old Testament, you'll go see where the wrath of God would go wipe entire cities out. But it wasn't because he didn't love the people. It's because he hated the sin. But the sin happened to be in the people. And because there was nobody who come yet to redeem us of our sin, then that was the way God had to deal with it. So, he put the, so, so Satan put the sin, which God hated, inside of the man, which God loved. So if God was going to get rid of the sin, which he hated, he's going to have to get rid of the man, which he loved. And if he saved the man, which he loved, he's going to have to save the sin, which he hated. But God had a strategy. Yeah. God had a strategy, and it was called the scapegoat. His name is Jesus. So what did he do? He conferred the sin off of the man over to the goat, and then he sent him out, and he ran him off into the sea, and that's where we get to, when he says, your sins are as far from the east from the west. You know the east and the west never meet, because God is a God of strange strategies. And so while I'm closing, you're here and you're saying, you know what, Pastor, I'm going through something. I want to pray. You're going through a storm. You're going through something you think is kind of strange. I want to pray for you. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't know Christ. I've just come because someone invited me today. But you know what? 
You spoke to my heart today. And I'm going to accept Jesus today. Maybe you said, you know what, I know what it means to be a Christian. I was grown up in the church, but I've kind of fallen away. And you know what, I'm ready to get back to the relationship I used to have with God. I want my faith back. I want my joy back. I want to love people the way I used to. I want to rededicate my heart. I want restoration, Pastor. I want, I want, would you pray for me? Listen, if you're in here and you feel like I'm talking to you, would you just lift your hand up? I just want to pray. If you say, yes, you're talking to me. Just anywhere. You're going through a storm, maybe. You're going through a problem. You're going through some affliction. I want to pray for you today. Every hand lifted. You say, you know what, if it's me, I want you to lift that hand. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray right now for every lifted hand. And I thank you, Father, that their ear, that your ear is open to their cry. I thank you, Father, that you said you'll never leave them nor forsake them. Anyone who needs salvation today, Father, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for repentant hearts. We thank you, Father, that you are the God. You said many are the afflictions of the righteous, but you deliver them out of them all. I'm praying for your deliverance today, that deliverance takes place, that when we leave here, we leave here differently than the way we came. It's because of your goodness, because of your glory, and because of your grace. We receive it right now. In Jesus' name, let all who agree with that, would you just shout amen? God bless you, Story Side. Love you guys.